Welcome to the Pop Anime Comics Lounge, episode 18. My guest today is Michael A. Zekis, a voice actor. But before we get into that interview, I'd like to remind everybody to check out popanimecomics.com and to follow us on Twitter at popanimecomics and to check out the Facebook page, Pop Anime Comics, for all things relating to pop culture, anime, and comics. So without further ado, let's dive right into this interview. How did you first get exposed to anime and cartoons? Oh, blimey. Many years ago on an early Sunday morning. Cartoons, I've grown up with them in my entire life. Saturday morning cartoon routine. Japanese animation originally happened to be on right before all the stuff that seemed so good, whether whatever channel it happened to be on at the time. And so many years went by. Around age 13, started to get into Pokemon and that is when I had a major interest in Japanese animation that took off and went on for years, originally started as a fan, loved the art form, just animation in general across the board, video games as well. Did some acting in high school and over time had started to fall in love with acting and it hit me many years later going, acting? Animation? That's right, I've loved this ever since I was a child, why am I not doing this? And all of a sudden, the love of Saturday morning cartoons became, that's right, I can do this for a living. I'm okay with this. So what shows did you gravitate towards when you were a kid? Really a tough call. It depends on which age I was looking at. If I was a very young child, a lot of early PBS stuff. I grew up earliest time, a lot of Sesame Street, Thomas the Tank Engine, then moved on to Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, which had just come out when I was in kindergarten, if you'll forgive me for dating myself. Everything that had come from Warner Brothers, so everything from Looney Tunes onto Animaniacs, Freakazoid, and as far as animation, originally started with what I could get my hands on. So there was a lot of Pokemon. Ronmo and Half is a classic favorite to this date. Roni Kenshin. From that point, it started going in many different directions after that, where it just spanned everything and anything. So you got into acting when you were in high school. How did that come about? I had always loved very animated things. And my personality, I was always very expressive and always very whimsical liking performances and personalities that were a little bit beyond what I would see in everyday life. And so I had gone into high school, loved the performing arts, originally had loved instrumental music, but then had a little change of mindset where I said, I want to try something different. I got hooked on Broadway from about age 13, going to see my first show, which was Jekyll and Hyde in the Merriam Theater in Philadelphia, and then said, this is such beauty, the way everything comes together. I'd like to come out on stage. I'd like to be able to perform in that manner. I would love to sing from that time. And then I just developed it where I could put everything together and be able to perform in front of an audience and on stage. After your high school career, you went to GW where you studied international affairs, mm -hmm. politics, and audio engineering. How did those two fields help you in your voice acting career today? <laughs> partially by giving me a little bit of direction as to what it was that I wanted to do. I did go into college originally actually for political science. I was very fascinated about the world affairs around me and then had moved on a little bit. I said, okay, this isn't quite what I'm looking at. Started to look towards journalism, so a different field of performance 
in which it was going to be on camera work and then presenting news stories to be that personality that's able to deliver what seems interesting. And then kind of changed my mind a little bit and had then moved on to international affairs. Washington's a funny place in terms of careers and whatnot. And so after a little soul searching, figuring out what I wanted to do, that's when I'd started to move back towards performing arts. I had been at a convention actually in 2010 and I had a friend who I was playing around with a little bit after just goofing around teasing her switching between a few characters she then physically dragged me up to a panel and said this is an audition you will audition for this um, as in terms of how everything came together international affairs a lot of understanding culture as I like to get into different art forms around the world and even a lot of socio-political understanding, let's say there are some Japanese animation like Gundam that tend to get into much deeper topics, and you can look at lessons in history that go into forming the storyline. And so it's really an ability to understand many times the kind of world that's being created there. And as far as audio engineering, that's been, that was a field I had gone into because I wanted to be able to have the skills to produce my own work. And so it's something that, because a voice actor often does a lot of independent work, it's my responsibility to be able to edit what I'm doing, to produce it, to get it out the door. And so it was something so that I could be able to manage my own things so I wouldn't have to be too dependent on having to get out to a studio every time I had an audition or whatnot. You graduate college, and how do you go saying, I want to be a voice actor? Like, what step did you take to determine that's the path you want to pursue? It was very serendipitous, and as I mentioned before, I was at an event about a year after I had graduated college, and my friend had physically dragged me to the panel, to which I had said, that's when the light bulb went off, and I, and I just, I'd realized, oh, that's, this is what I really, really enjoy above everything. What I did from there, because I had not done voice acting study, I did music studies and an entire slew of things, I then proceeded to do some research to learn about the industry and eventually then to start taking some classes to be able to hone my skill to be able to familiarize myself with individuals in the industry and to also learn the biggest thing about voice acting is that it's an independent business and so I needed to be responsible for alright I've got a brand how do I get my name out there so where did you go about to take classes and how did you find where to take classes well I did a lot of hunting online originally to see if I wanted to do something with a local name or with someone who was national and do it online. And eventually I decided, now, I live in South Jersey, so a certain degree outside of New York City, which conveniently is a major spot for voiceover recordings. The place where I actually lucked out was using the internet form The Voice Acting Alliance. My first teacher, Melanie Ehrlich, I had, she had been posting about advertising a class where she was going to be working different skills in voiceover. I decided, let's go for this. She showed her repertoire. She showed everything it was she had worked on. And I said, this is a person who I can be able to learn with and to hone my skill. And I had made the jump to then come into the city and for a few weeks start learning to really jump feet first into this business. So was your family supportive of this decision of yours? They've known I've loved arts the, my entire life. And so 
it was something that they were supportive of it. Biggest caveat is being able to show the business and payoff of it, which it takes time to develop. It doesn't, sh- it, it, one does not make money on the first day that they jump into voiceover, but it's, it was something that had gained more comfort, more acceptance as time had gone on. Now, you said you went into the city. What did your training consist of briefly? Training. Mostly learning about different forms of voiceover. Learning how to deliver natural, convincing speech, whether it's for commercial, animation, audiobook work, etc. And just being able... The key point is acting. So it was being able to first deliver a convenient... a conv- Pardon me, rather. Convincing acting performance to be able to also meet up with individuals so they can present themselves. I'm solving the problem they have. Getting my voice out there and meeting whoever it is that's looking to produce something. And those were the two parts that were most critical. Now, how do you feel that your background in audio engineering, you know, studying under Mitch Cantor, helped you find your voice? With him, Professor Cantor, I had studied under him. I actually went back to school at Mercer County Community College, which had local theater in the area local radio program that's broadcast all over New Jersey with him first learning what happens on both sides of the glass so I can handle my recordings but I also know what the engineer is doing so I have the perspective as to how they have to handle the performance from the actor and also learning how to mix and master everything that came together I learned how to produce my own spots how to do different types of commercial to create them to learn the basics for creating demos so that down the road being able to make the tools that are really my calling cards, I had all the skills to do that. And even creating original work. Back in February, I was with a troupe of voice actors known as the LTM Audio Players. With them, we produced an original piece known as The Amazing Adventures of Action Jack and Obvious Girl. Originally performed it live off-Broadway, then had turned it into a fully produced radio play in the style of classic 1960s slapstick, 1960s Batman-esque type shows. And so uh, the troupe we recorded, and I was also responsible for all of the engineering. So over the course of the of a month, I had then mixed and mastered this into a fully finished piece that we could then release to the world as our own performance. So do you feel that understanding how from an audio engineering standpoint helps you to deliver your lines as a voice actor better more concise there is a little difference between it what it's understanding a lot of is the technique because as an actor i learn the sound that's going into the mic with the engineer learn i then learning really what's good to listen for going into the mic, and if something happens to go off, if there's any way in which it can be saved, to be transformed, or if it's something that just needs to be completely redone. It's, it's, it's a skill that does go hand-in-hand hand with being able to do the performance, because oftentimes I've had to mix and master my own work. So you also have a very distinctive voice. How long did it take you to find and establish your voice? Probably as soon as I had gotten comfortable with the voice having changed. From having been a young boy, and everything is all so, um, oh, what, what is this going on? I don't feel comfortable with this, and, oh, oh, that's right, I kind of like how that sounds now. Probably around, going into college, around 18 was really, I really got comfortable sitting in voice, 
maybe a little bit earlier, 17, and then using it to my advantage. Starting to hear that kind of voice in a very pleasant manner, admittedly also in a lot of Japanese animation, where it was something that was a very desirable aesthetic to have with certain characters. Now your first anime role, you were mm-hmm. Cliff from Holy Night. How did you find out about auditioning for this part? Originally, I had learned about this. My colleague I had mentioned and my teacher, Melanie Ehrlich, she had, along with another colleague, had formed a company that was producing, they were providing voiceover services with a specific focus on animation dubbing. And so through a colleague of hers, the other half of her operation, Brittany Lauda, another voice actress, Lauda, excuse me, she they had gotten in contact with Media Blasters, who stopped doing dubs for many years, mostly as a cost-saving measure, I believe. And they were willing to present talent that was at the ready to do anime dubbing. And so this was a piece that it was a two-episode series. They had had the license for a while, and now was the time in which they said, we have talent that we can provide. And so through a course of auditioning and then being able to demonstrate my flexibility with these casting directors was they were able to help figure out if and where I might have fit into the role and who was the best candidate in any circumstance to be able to go out for this particular animation that they needed to be able to dub. So did you audition or was it finding out who the right candidate was? Originally, I had auditioned for... Yes, I had auditioned for the cast for the casting agency that they had created, MB Voiceworks as it's called. I auditioned with something to go into their talent pool. And from that point, through what they had heard with my performances, they were able to determine what my what my strongest characters were. Now, since this was your first role in animation, were you nervous, excited? How are you feeling uh, going through this process? All the above and then some. I had done my first ADR work. I had a chance to study with Darren Dunstan of 4K Media, formerly 4Kids, who is one of the leading one of the leading casting directors in New York in terms of anime work and also just being able to study ADR, anime dubbing, because it is a very unique skill in voiceover. The very first time you have a time code, you have a set amount of time you can get the words in, Good luck getting into the booth. Having had that experience prior, I was I had comfort and familiarity. And I'll tell you, it's very exhausting work, but very exciting, exhausting work. And it 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 then sat in first few takes. Okay, getting up to speed. Then comes the point when everything starts running very nice and smoothly. So do you have any stories that you'd like to share about your work on Holy Night? You know, I'll be honest. Holy Night was actually fairly straightforward in terms of a production. So I was able to perform my work, get everything taken care of, and then finish up. I, on that date, had recorded alongside Mike Pollock, who some might know as the voice of Doc- the current voice of Dr. Robotnik with Sonic the Hedgehog. And so it was an honor to work with someone on the same level whose work I had respected for years. Probably what was most exciting, hearing the work as I was recording it, and then we had a release party, so had the opportunity right before it had gone public to be able to debut and hear everything, all of the cast and how we had produced this work alongside Media Blaster's engineer, everything come together and just realize we've made this. This is from all of our hearts. 
into this work. Now, to step away from anime, you've done voice work for video games. How does that process work? That one has been more traditional. With all of the video game work that I've had, I've had an audition for everything that's come up, and mostly because it's been under different casting directors. So even casting directors that I've been familiar with, they'll have different auditions for different pieces. Process is the same, do an audition. What's been interesting is that sometimes I've been auditioning for the role that is being offered, and sometimes I've been I've auditioned and gotten roles that I'd never auditioned for, which makes for a very interesting thing when all of a sudden I'm going, oh, this is nice. I'm not sure who that character was. And then all of a sudden, re- the, ca- the casting director then presents the character that they had cast me as, and I'm laughing because I know exactly why they had done that. Even though I didn't know what I was going for, they were able to match it up perfectly. There's different ways to audition. How do you audition for a video game? First, finding the audition. Either familiarity with the casting director, or it could just be an open casting call. Then what's most important, and this is pretty universal in terms of acting, is being able to really get into that character. So I test it out. I feel I know where this character's voice is. I'm getting into the character's head so I know what they're thinking. So that way I can create the motivation in the scenario behind the lines that I'm saying because they want to hear as realistic a character as possible. And so I record as the character, get whatever lines and recordings taken care of, and then get everything formatted. Oftentimes they want something a very specific way. Get it recorded, cut up, formatted as they like, send it to them, provide details such as resume, here's other aspects of my work if you requested them, and then at the, it's at the casting director's, well, it's up to the casting director to then make the call as to what they're looking for. So you've done three video games and then you're working on one that's currently being filmed. Do you have a favorite character that you've played in these works? Oh, no, that's that's a tough question. Really depends on what mood I'm in at a given moment. Probably one of my absolute favorites is from a game I just finished up called Slam Fighter 2. Team out of Texas and managed to get connected with them to go out for this role. And playing two different roles in this one. One, Sergei Ionescu, who happens to be a loud and very brash Romanian. He is the five-time People's Choice Awards winner of Bucharest and also is completely in love with rap music and is pretty much a throwback from the Soviet Union. So you have this loud, almost Zangief-type character who's just throwing all of these crazy parodies of famous rap lyrics at individuals as insults. And it's a character who is so over-the-top, so ridiculous, so very fun to get into character as that I was just creating lots lines and going back and forth with the director at which he said all right that so was not written in the script but we're putting it now because that was too perfect did never stopped having fun when session after session recording him so when you voice as a character do you play the game so you could hear your voice and enjoy it maybe what do you find challenging about voice acting for anime and then voice acting for video games they do have their own unique challenges video games i create the character and then all of of the graphics are generally done afterward, so I have a little more liberty in terms of what I can do. With the anime, because it is dubbing, it's animation that's already preset, the tricky part is successfully timing it all. So one has to have, one has to be very good at feeling a rhythm to get that line out, to be able to say the line in the right
right amount of times, depending on how complex the animation is, being able to match flaps and whatnot so that it doesn't look like a 1970s kung fu movie. And challenges, given it's it's always, there's always a lot of effort that goes into creating the character because I want to be able to make sure I'm fully in there. I'm not just speaking the words and I'm indignant and unhappy at you because you did things to me. No, I have to feel it. I have to really make sure that my voice is doing all the acting. So I have to bring out everything that is, um, I, I need to show every bit of emotion that comes out in the voice and really just brings that character to life. And as you mentioned before in this interview, you were involved in the amazing adventures of Action Jack and Oblivious Girl. Mm -hmm. How'd you get involved in that project? That project was originally a collaboration. The radio troupe that I, or rather the um, voiceover troupe that I mentioned, we were a group of friendly voice actors. And so last summer, actually around this, about 13 months ago, we had gotten together with the idea to produce an off-Broadway show that was going to be staged radio plays. We did this, was originally a collection of about six different productions. This was the one that the writer said she wanted to take it somewhere else. We originally did all these on stage, did Foley sound effects and whatnot, and she wanted to do something more to really turn it into that fully finished radio play. So she then proposed, let's get, let's pull the group back together and re-record this, do it not as a live show, but everything that can be fully mixed and mastered. And ultimately we got it to the Atlanta Fringe Festival. So sending it to a long distance venue where it was, ended up being the most popular show, fortunately, of the entire show. It was really quite an honor to see just the love that it had gotten there. But friends all getting together where we had individual ideas and skills that were able to just put everything together and create something that was totally by ourselves. What were the challenges that were involved producing something like this? The first one was a blizzard. There was one of those crazy ones that hit in February. It took a significant amount of time to meet to record and then probably took me about four times the normal time to get home. So meeting up as a group unit, it was definitely physically difficult. Then I was originally, I had the script and because I was doing the engineering, it was then my responsibility to take all the hours of audio, cut it up and then decide, all right, so now I need to create this scene. Everything that's behind the voices, create scenes, create effects, create transitions, appropriate music, um, different takes that I had to select what had the best emotion to it. And then eventually bouncing my ideas off of the writer to see what if there was anything should change, anything that she really liked. And it just added until it was finally ready to go, got the credits done and off it went. So we're approaching the end of my interview with you. And so I was wondering what advice do you have for people who want to get involved in radio plays, radio and production and voice acting outside of the anime community? The first thing I would suggest is be fully passionate and fully in love with everything that you do. Every project takes 110% heart and it will sound all the better because of it. Seek some training, whether it's local, if you can find someone to meet up with. If it's long distance, some voice actors and talents provide distance learning over Skype. And then find your friends, find their skills, always be optimistic about meeting new people and finding new opportunities. You never know who's looking to produce something. And you'd be amazed at what opportunities are right around the corner. Create your own work. If you've got an idea, put it on paper, test it out with someone else, and figure out what you can do to bring it to life because there's always some kind of art to create. But above all, just love everything that you do. Just feel free to reach out and ask, ask people. People are always glad to help. And 
create your own brand with as much pride, uniqueness. Oh, blimey, could go on for hours. There's there's so many opportunities and so many great things one can do to establish themselves in this business. And finally, before we go, do you have anything you'd like to promote? Website, Facebook, Twitter? Yes. If you'd like to check out anything else of my work, feel free to stop by my website, which is michaelazekas.com. And also on Facebook under my name, Michael A. Zekas. And in terms of projects, it is a little bit tough because occasionally there are ones that I'm not legally able to disclose quite yet. But right now, my latest game, Slam Fighter 2, we are constantly working on new content and updates. So there are surprises I had not even found out quite yet. Check out my website. Check out Facebook. Always glad to talk and always glad to entertain. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. And remember to subscribe to this podcast so it finds you and you don't find it. And I will see you on Sunday.